We need to pull the videotape. My tape? Why? I've made a huge mistake. But it was too late to do anything about it. Steve Holmes is a bastard. He doesn't even know who his real father is. What else don't we know about Steve Holt? George Michael Bluth is a cool guy. His dad is a powerful executive working for this man. The girls like him just fine. Young and old, it doesn't matter. In the dark. back to Growing Up Punk, the podcast about punk rock and all of its friends. This is part two of a two-parter. My name is David. You're about to hear from Aaron as he interviews, finishes up his interview, uh, with Theo from Gob. Uh, of course, if you're familiar with Gob, you know, great band from the 90s, late 90s, early 2000s in the punk scene, especially up in Canada where we are located. Um, but regardless, if you're a fan of punk rock, if you're a fan of music, this is part two. If you didn't hear part one, go back, go listen to it. Uh, real quick, if you want to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, you can find us at Growing Punk Pod. You can also find us on Facebook as well. Just look up Growing Up Punk. Uh, I believe it's facebook.com slash Growing Up Punk Pod. Anyway, you can find our personal Instagrams and Twitters there as well. So go give us a follow. And uh, thanks to all of you who've been sharing the episodes. We want to see that continue to grow, help the show grow. Wherever you're listening to the podcast, make sure you rate it, you review it, you subscribe it. And like I said, tell all your friends. So without wasting any more time, this is part two of a two-part interview. It's Aaron interviewing Theo from Gob. Did you think that I was blind? Did you think I couldn't see? Did you think I'd just dismiss your betrayal so Uh, that would have been uh, sucker punch that I was anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, it sounds like a name of a kid for a song. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of there's probably bands there you call that and song title. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, well, let's uh, let's just say that uh, you are a very special guest because you are the first one to come back consecutive two weeks in a row. So congratulations. Well, um, I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> or maybe I am. Or we both are together and double jeopardy, right? It cancels it out or something. But... <laughs> So yeah, I think we, we ended uh, our last conversation just kind of talking about the transition from um, how far Shallow takes you into the world according to Gob. And so yeah, I'd love to kind of hear what that transition was like for you guys as a band. You know, there was some there was a bit of change in sound. There was a, a gain in popularity and just your music videos. And so I'd love to hear kind of how that um, affected you guys as a band and the tours that you guys were doing then and, and kind of all that. Yeah, so you're you're um, you're talking about yeah, from how far to a world according to God, right? Yeah, um, yeah, and just kind of that that season of touring and 
kind of what was going on then. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, uh, I mean, I'm, I know I said this probably last week or when we had the last conversation, um, that, that transition where we played that record, how far, uh, for, you know, a couple of years until, you know, our, our, uh, we released World According to God. But, you know, of course we went on that when we released World According to God. They wanted to hear how far Solitary at the time. It was kind of like, you know, they didn't want to hear, they wanted to hear the older stuff. It just it always seems like, I mean, I think that's a pretty, I guess, I guess a given for most bands that like, they put out stuff, everyone wants always to hear like the old plays, the older stuff. And, and that became more of a iconic, I guess, uh, classic record as well, uh, how far it did for Gob. Right. But at the time we released, you know, when we came out and I think it was, uh, I think we're doing that in 1999, 2000, when we did World According to Gob, um, and that came out in 2000, I believe. Um, that was, you know, we had all these demos, Tom, I, and, Tom and I, and uh, I remember, strange story, um, the, Tom had these songs, and of course, we were playing them, and one of the songs um, was I Hear You Calling, but all, it, all that song existed at the time when he played it to me, or, or and the rest of the guys, um, it just had just like how you hear the original the song like just the intro obviously it was a, that was before it was recorded well but it was just the two guitars at the beginning the he got that with the other guitar kind of playing the rhythm in the background so he just had that idea initially uh and they did songs because he'd have really have really exchange you know show each other riffs or ideas or melodies of songs and i was like holy fuck that's I love it. Like there's something so cool and hooky about it. I, I don't yeah. know something that I don't know something. I just I thought it was a fucking it was cool. Like I say, like, dude, this is cool. You got to finish this. And the other guys in the band, <laughs> uh, they were kind of like, oh, whatever. Like about it, you know. They didn't really, you know, because sometimes I guess, you know, I don't know if it's just a songwriter thing. Uh, you can, you know, you know, you don't. I mean to hear something in something that's not really finished. Right. It's kind of like a weird thing. Cause most people hear when they listen to a band, they hear the finished thing. They don't know all the steps that were taken. Maybe it was, you know, maybe it was uh, two songs or three songs that was made into one song and it became this amazing song or it was written in 10 minutes or maybe it took longer. So no one knows the history of it. They just hear when it's the final thing and they know, Oh, if it's a good song, it's a good song. I like it. Yeah. But there was something there and I knew and uh, so I kind of was like, you know, I was stoked to, you know, tell Tom to, and then that became like, you know, a big song for God. Right. Um, so did the I, other I, guys kind of catch on to it and they, they liked it after that or did they hate playing well, it? Well, I think that they, had, they saw it. They, like, yeah, it, we're just talking in its infancy of, oh, okay, there's, yeah. no, there's no vocal melodies. There's nothing. All it was is like the beginning part of that song. If you listen to, uh, if you've heard of the song, I'm sure you might yeah, have heard yeah. it. Oh, but yeah. before, the, t- before Tom starts singing, there's an intro to the song. Yeah. And that's all what the demo was, was just that intro. It just repeated oh, okay. um, like uh, a couple times or maybe four times. And he was just, so he had an idea. Um, but he just said, oh, what do you think of this? And I, you know, kind of thing. And I was one, I was like, dude, it's like the back to the future moment. I think I, I remember pulling <laughs> pulling over in the vehicle I was driving I was like calling dude say you know that song 
I just listened to the demo of the tape or whatever it was on cassette he gave it to you at the time. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, the, the, whatever we do, it demos on a four track or eight track thing with a cassette thing or mini this. I can't remember. I know we had a mini disc recorder thing too, eight track thing that we would do demos on. And, um, but anyway, this is before obviously Pro Tools and got, I mean, I think Pro Tools was around at the infancy as well at that time. But uh, we were analog lovers, and that's how that record was recorded. We got Neil King. Yeah, um, worked like with, like with Elvis Costello. He did some um, engineering on like with Green Day and Jawbreaker. Right. Um, so yeah, and this is British fellow that was really a super nice guy. He was really cool, and uh, we said let's try getting someone like this. It's kind of like, you know, like maybe it'll help enhance this record or whatever. But you mean. And his production thing, like we wanted to record to, to analog tape, of course, and we did. And uh, yeah, it's, it was just a total. Uh, we had Blair, who helped engineer the record, who did work on How Far with us when we did How Far. So we try to keep that, uh, you know, that same kind of sort of vibe and energy on that record. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was like, obviously, we did a bunch of different songs. We did one of them, we're like, oh, I don't want to do, we never released a few of the songs that. We did a, a couple extra songs, I think, on that record that uh, maybe it'll come out as a B-side one day. Who knows? Right. And was maybe it not. was it like a conscious effort to to do more of you know a rock record? Like it, it's still still a punk record. There's still fast songs and yeah, you know, you know it was because you know what I think it was because I mean there is a there's a, there is a, a fast song like uh, uh, like no for California. Or... Sorry, you know, regrets yeah. is kind of yeah, more of a punky, but uh, even like the song "Looking for California," I think is on that record too, and that's more of a, like like a faster punk beat song, like more. Of, um, I don't know if you remember that. That one's got it's probably the fastest one on there. It's like, yeah, it's faster than No Regrets, but yeah, like like I said, it was like I think at that time we were just you know writing songs and we liked we because we liked everything. We liked stuff from like the, you know like Ramones, Police, like uh, fuck. You know, obviously, like Bad Religion, No Facts, and Rancid, right. and all that kind of stuff. But you know, minor threat to we. But we also listen to jazz on tour because we get t- tired of listening to punk bands all the time. Like you're playing with them for three months straight, and just, so it's like, oh, let's throw in you know, one or Miles Davis or something different, or Thelonious Monk, or and then it'd be like, okay, you're tired of that. Let's listen to some old Johnny Cash or Patsy Cline or something. You know, you never right. know. Like just it'd be like it was like brought. You know, it was cool because it was always interesting to hear music that you didn't know or you're open, get open to new stuff. And that's the way we, because we loved um, that. And that's where we kind of came from. We came from um, music. We loved eighties music. We loved, you know, punk stuff. We loved everything. And, and, and I was, you know, the song was a song. It was like, that was the thing. I think that's where that sticks in in our, in our type of DNA, I guess, for writing for music is, you know, there's always something uh, like you know, not not in every song, but most of us we have a uh, like there's a melody, there's story, and then there's like a chorus that's you know leaves you singing sometimes and like or whatever. Like it it was just something that we loved ourselves as songwriters. We liked a good song. It's like how do you write a song that's good? It's it's hard to write a good song, right? Like, oh, sense, yeah. Where it's like. You know, and it's all it's all different to 
different people. Obviously, you can have a hardcore band like The Refused, which I'm going to see tonight. But I was telling you, but um, and, and, and you know, yeah, of um, the song like New Noise, where it's like a fucking great hardcore, you know, punk kind of song that came out of it. But I mean, a lot of people wouldn't think that's a great song because they don't like they oh it's too heavy for me or he's screaming or I don't like screaming vocals. So, I mean, a song that's sung and there's written and it's got all this instrumentation, it's obviously harder to write, uh, in a sense, uh, something that's good or you feel comfortable. And that, that we always felt comfortable. The songs that we liked, we did, even though they were, like, if it was more rock and roll or not as punk or a little bit more punk or hard, it was, we were always comfortable because that's what we were feeling and that's what we liked. It wasn't like, like, we liked the song. Oh, yeah, I like that. Oh, it's cool. I like it. I, I'm into it. It wasn't like trying to go, okay, I think we should try and do this, guys, because this is what's kind of cool right now. <laughs> yeah. I got my ear to the I got my ear to the street. If you notice why it's all red, it's because it's been laying on the street all day and now I know what's cool. So let's <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like it wasn't like that. We kind of just did our own thing and made you know, Gob was like in the sense of a big collage of this different type of you know a gob of different types of music or punk kind of style we just did what we wanted and made us ourselves happy so we were never held to we didn't have to be held to a certain you know um, genre I think well right. even though you know yeah and I think that especially comes out in um, kind of some of your later releases but I think you guys did a really good job with uh, world according to gob like for myself that came out when i was in high school and it wasn't a such a drastic shift that i was like what is this band it was enough that i recognized it but it didn't you know lose me as a listener um but it engaged me in a way that kept me coming back you know over and over again for the last you know 15 20 years that it's been out and it's still such a great record to put on. So I love hearing just the backstory of the influences because, you know, like you said, lots of different influences, lots of those I wouldn't know, you know, just by listening to it. But then when you say it, you know, maybe next time I go and listen back, you'll be listening for, you know, different melodies or different parts in the song that I would be able to say, you know, oh, this does, this sounds like it was influenced by, you know, jazz or something different, right? If you're just always writing punk songs they kind of if you're just influenced by punk then it all kind of just sounds like punk instead of you yeah know, having rock influence or jazz or whatever else yeah and i mean like and the thing is i uh, obviously our songs aren't really jazz <laughs> right yeah but, but I, exactly what it's like it it would be like if <laughs> it's funny because um i remember playing guitar when i started learning guitar like i taught myself how to play because i i love it i kept trying to figure out how to play even though you know i sucked i just spent hours uh, trying to like listen to things but i also took me myself um like when i was in the concert band at school uh i remember the teacher saying you know because i didn't know how to play you know you know trumpet saxophone or trombone or whatever and i just you know kind of went to the percussion section which was you know I, it was easier because i didn't have to uh, I didn't know how to play because these people, you know, so, but they, they also, the teacher's like, why don't you, we have an intermediate sta uh, jazz, stage band, like a jazz band. And it was like, whoa, I don't know, you know, and I had to get, you know, a book and like learn all these kind of crazy chords and stuff. And, you know, it was like another challenge. So I, I, you know, I did it. I went and did it and I just, I put myself applied to it. It just, I mean, I had the passion to want to learn my instrument, but 
um, not that I'm that I'm that great of a you know whatever guitar player I think, but I mean I just thought learning these different things. I don't know if this chord these chords would ever come in handy, but um, it taught me about a little bit of the theory of how you know what, you know what sort of how things sat into the mix. So like when a guitar had these different kind of chords, and it's kind of hard to do these kind of crazy chords when you're playing in a loud rocking band with chords yeah. and all that. But, but it still maybe understand. Uh, sort of stru- a little bit of song structure a bit, you know, like it kind of was learning and without even me knowing, I just, it was kind of like something that was, I think all those things help. Like, yeah. Um, well, that's different, yeah. you know, the, the difference between being a musician and just a listener, you know, if, if I just listen to punk music, well, then that's all I really listen to. But if I'm playing punk or something else, right, it's like, well, maybe I want to play, something different i might not like listening to jazz but it's fun to play it because then i can it influences the way i play instead of if you're just a listener you kind of just listen to what you like to listen to but when you play sometimes it's fun to play stuff you wouldn't listen to because you're physically doing it and it's just a different a different feeling yeah and that i mean if we were like i said it was just like an offshoot thing if we we're tired of listening to punk or new wave or metal or whatever. And then it'd be like, so Tom throw on like Miles Davis or John Coltrane or something. And you listen to these amazing players. Like these guys are like the, the soul that was coming out of their instruments. Like they're fucking pouring out there. Like, and it's just like, fuck, I wish I could play that kind of passion into my instrument. Like, you know, always, well, I wish I could be like, you know, you always, you kind of like you know, obviously those people are those icons and always be there. I don't know if there'll be anyone is you know good that, that obviously they mark cement their um, you know abilities and stuff. So yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome. In, so, in, as a legacy, I guess. Yeah. So what was uh, the touring like on on this cycle? Were you guys touring full time in Canada and the states, or what did that look like? So pardon me, because um. Eating my late lunch. Yeah, uh, you enjoyed that burrito. <laughs> how do you it, how do you know it's a burrito? You just seem like, you just seem like uh, I'm gonna make myself a quick burrito kind of guy. No, this one this one's a something of a, a creation here. I made a, I don't know. It's kind of like a bunch of different things. It's almost like uh, I don't know. Just because I just need something to eat because I haven't ate all day today so it was just like you called me right when i was in the middle of making some kind of cereal slash oatmeal <laughs> cereal burrito crazy cereal <laughs> cereal burrito <laughs> with, with nuts and uh maybe cranberries it's kind of like a, it's almost like i think i've created something like um a, a new age hippie uh brunch meal well, that's, that sounds right up your alley. Get getting in fights and hippie food. Well, definitely, <laughs> it will be. If it's up my alley, it's going to definitely come down the other side, like like uh, uh, the Hoover Dam runoff. Well, there, there's an image for everyone. Like there's a lot of <laughs> looks like a lot of fiber in this. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just kidding. You, you're getting old, man. You need your fiber. <laughs> just kidding <laughs> I got my metal in here with my oatmeal <laughs> well as long as uh, I'm, I'm we're kidding, not no, still I just, recording I just made when something it's... quick I just had to 
and when you i forgot that you were and you were calling me so yeah i mean obviously we are going to edit this out of the interview i hope oh dude um, no so if i if i sound like i'm chewing on something it's not the uh the the dog's pet toy okay <laughs> yeah so or my or my, or my own underwear okay well that's that's good to know yeah so well yeah what did the touring look like were you guys you know, you know trying to trying to be in the road as much as possible were you touring the states what was that dynamic like any standout so, tours well because that song um uh i think we well so that we already had that album come out and we went and did a a, a video we had a we had to, we had three different ideas or whatever to do a video for i hear you calling and then this guy that we were talking to in toronto you know we kind of like you know things that we liked and this is like i said like 2000 it's like i was into like you know like horror b movie stuff and sci-fi but it was like a different kind of stuff and all that and this guy had mentioned something about zombies or something and then i'm like let's yeah let's do a fucking video i like i like this guy he was zombie thing so he had an idea of us playing you know zombies at a game of soccer to save the girl's life um and i, I was like fuck it was like i it was like we got it it was the fucking coolest like thing you know thinking in our heads we got to do it so right off the bat i mean we were doing zombie stuff before he was zombies were super cool i think because you know yeah. how you know like it was probably yeah like way beyond before it's not like if you think that we were doing that in 2000 because much music would play that video because it's halloween kind of based and then we had the toronto argonaut cheerleaders at the time i, I are they called that now, or is it the same team, or are they different? I'm the wrong person to ask anything about sports. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> those like, so football I guys. They changed their name. Yeah. I, I, but at the time, they were Toronto Argonaut cheerleaders. But they had the makeup on to be like zombies, and they were kind of doing sort of like a you know an MJ kind of thriller dance thing involved a little bit with choreography, and so it was kind of cool that the way it rolled out. We did that late at night. And that video, and I, re I just remember when that video, we did, it was like, it's it was like a special thing, like the soda video. And you see that, you're like, holy fuck, this is like, is it like we're wow, holy fuck, we look way cooler than I thought <laughs> we did. You know, like it was like, yeah. and that made us, you know, it was kind of like, it was cool, and it was a big song, like it was across Canada, and it was like you know, in video games and stuff, and it was cool, and it's like a song that you know that we wrote and. Obviously, oh, we got a gold record from that album too, which right. was really cool. Yeah. So, what was the touring like from that, like across Canada? Did it? Did you notice, you know, shows selling out or growing in size from that? We definitely, because of um, the songs like "For the Moment," "No Regrets," and "I Hear You Calling" were um. Pardon me, was talking with food in my mouth. And those were like it seemed like we could almost do no wrong. We were putting out songs that we like, and the label was down with them too. And and it was cool, like to make videos for them and have fun. And I got to dress up with Craig like that in the video for for the moment as a cop with a mustache and uh, eating donuts. So I was like. In that video, we played different roles and stuff, which was fucking fun. And 
I was back in the day. I was like, it was cool. It was really fun. I, I enjoyed that. And, and that became the songs and the touring was all that kind of came in because those songs were made the songs bigger and we were invited to play festivals and that yeah yeah the shows would be doing well like uh, what could you ask for more it was sort of like it was taking off like it was already had started and this sort of like it propelled it to the next i guess uh, uh, you know, I don't want to sound cheesy, but it like, like this, whatever the next level stage, whatever it was. Right. But, but in my mind, I was just like, oh, we just were just doing well. Like we were all like, just like doing. We we're just playing shows, bad people showing up, and you know, and then you know, and then we just kept writing music, and uh, you know, and then we started. I think it was like a year later, year or two later, we were working already. And Tom and I, and I decided to live and got a house in Vancouver and just kind of like use it to rent it and just uh, write music, just live together and work, you know, you know, live, breathe, eat um, and work together. Like all like, you know, just to get all the creative things. And it was like, uh, and then that was when we started working on uh, the foot and mouth disease record. Right. And, and this is before we knew we would, you know, end up working with Mark Trombino who did like, um, yeah, that's uh, awesome. Like, uh, dude ranch uh jimmy world yeah uh, or sorry blank way to dude ranch and uh jimmy world's couple records they're obviously the american and uh uh fuck the one the futures uh i think he did that i think he did one later one but he did the one before that which uh fuck clarity Clarity, yes. Okay, yes. Yeah, yeah. That was why we wanted to, you know, that was one part we wanted to work with because we love Clarity. And I thought, you know, he, that was our first recording with Pro Tools because we thought, we thought, uh, you know, those were just, like, we didn't know they were digital recordings because they sounded really good and still warm and they still had an edge to them. So, but at that time, you know, by then Pro Tools, I guess, got better and the resolution and stuff. And, uh, but Mark did use analog too, like with that when they mix it down. And so they kept, they still had a, a thing of analog instead of it just being, so, which was interesting. Like, and he knew what he was doing and he had written worked with these bands and it was a different type of a producer, uh, more of an engineer kind of like, oh, no, I like that. Let me hear it this way, hear it that way. You know, we did pre-production. It was, uh, um, Fuck, I'm jumping all over the place here. Oh, I know you right. wanted to hear. I know you wanted to hear more about uh, World According to God because that was a real big record. Oh, well, that's okay. Um, I'm, I'm just a... gonna. I'm just gonna pause the foot and mouth one because I kind of jumped into that without finishing it. Obviously, yeah. Yeah, well, it's all good. Well, but World According to God, um, the name, obviously. Uh, I was getting the guys or whatever, Tom. I said, dude, this movie, The World According to Garp, which was Robin Williams was in. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. No, I don't recognize the title of that. Yeah. And so that was, I, I really liked that name, The World According to, because it suited, suited like the artwork we were thinking of. You know, Tom was like, I think we should do go like this with this artwork or go like this or have something like, you know, like a sort of like a, like a relationship, uh, a love relationship kind of going kind of going like you know you though it's like this but it's kind of like uh like a 50s style thing yeah it's i love the art almost that. like a like a popular mechanic <laughs> in the 50s or something and uh but it's like it's like a kind of a weird sort of alfred hitchcock kind of or vibe or like where it's like a guy's coming through with a saw but it's just like a hardware kind of thing but it looks kind of you know it's kind of but it's done in a different kind of dark manner and yeah 
and uh, and we had watched the movie, and then I just thought this is this record, uh, like you know, telling. I remember seeing the Tom. It's like I, it's this is sort of like the world, sort of according to us too, like this record. So that's how that became the title of it, um, of that album. Just to give you uh, some insight of that, I don't yeah, know that that's awesome. really, not many people know that. I think I'm pretty sure. Like, I, it's not like we never told anyone, but that was something that was kind of like you know that kind of moved us. That movie at the time of what it's like it was, uh, you know, I, I can't remember how long it was been out for a while at that point. But I mean, we were watching out. It was I think in '99 or 2000, but it was, you know, I think it was from the later '80s or early 90s when it came out hmm. but it's a really good movie if you haven't seen the world according to garp yeah you know, I'll, I'll have to go back and uh see if i can and find it's robin that. williams it was like a real leading role and it's all about his life and the growing up and then all this crazy shit that happens and it's it's fucking rad it's a rad movie like they don't i mean it yeah i i think it's a really brilliant movie it's really really good yeah well that it's, sounds cool did you guys break into the States at all, or was it mostly kind of Canada where, where you guys were getting more recognition? Yeah, so, yeah, Canada was obviously that, and then, um, you know, and then we had our sights on. We wanted to go to eventually go to Europe because people from Europe were asking us to, you know, come ever since we were doing Too Late No Friends and stuff, and we were trying to figure out, um, you know, how to make it work. And, um, and, and you know, to this day... I mean, even though we've almost gone as a band there, um, we've still haven't gone, which is really weird to a lot of no, people. And because just the way it's worked out, it's just. But Japan was, you know, okay, sorry. Anyway, I'm jumping again. Um, so World According to Gob comes out, and then we do all that. We go so the states, yeah. We started getting all these uh, shows like on the Warp Tour as well because we were playing on the Warp Tour before that record. And then on that record, we're asked to play a bunch of shows. I remember in Calgary, like we were playing some shows with Green Day, No Effect. Oh, wow. And they asked, they asked us to play last at the Calgary Warp Tour. They told us to play because like, every day, randomly, they switch bands around who plays right. on the main stage and all, or what time. Sometimes they play earlier, sometimes later. But they for that show, they put us on late. Like right after, they said Green Day on the one stage and then right after they play we have to start playing wow and then i just like oh my god we have to play fucking after green day and green day was obviously so huge and big you know like i was just like oh my god it's like <laughs> like you know it's like, it felt like everyone's gonna fucking leave everyone's gonna leave and it was amazing that the people in front uh while you know our crew was setting up and obviously we're you know still helping them out and getting our stuff but there's people gathered in front you know, chanting, God, 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 like, it started, like, hundreds of people, and in between Green Day sat while they finished one song, there's all this chant going, God, God, at the same, and it was so, the love was amazing, like, oh, it was just, a, like, they so feel cool. that, like, our own Canadian fans, like, just fucking giving us that love, dude, it was just, it, like, it went from, like, no one's gonna stick around to, oh, my God, this could be fucking amaze, balls. Yeah. so, and, I knew it was balls when we went into, like, as soon as Green Day ended and they give us the thing, they go, okay, start playing, you know, and we played Soda right off the bat. So we started with Soda to get everyone, so we just get everyone stoked. And everyone stayed, and, you know, they moved over from one side to the other while we were playing, and it was fucking, it got, it was awesome. And within the two or three songs, like, by the third song on stage, I, I noticed I turned around, and there's Billy Joe kind of just standing on the backstage behind near my amp there. 
I was like, holy fuck. It's really, and it was kind of like. Yeah, that's got to be a little you know, intimidating. Felt a little nervous. Yeah, it was intimidating. It felt and then uh, yeah, after we played, he stayed there the whole time. And then he came up to me and goes, hey, I'm Billy Joe Green. I'm like, fuck, I know you are. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's like, like you guys are awesome. He's like, fuck it. Yeah, he's like, yeah. Green, green who? Um, green Bay yeah, Packers? So it was, <laughs> <laughs> so was kind of like, uh, you know, I said, no, no, buddy. I don't, I don't, I don't do drugs. I don't want to buy drugs. <laughs> no, 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 I, no. I'm just kidding. No, he. <laughs> yeah, imagine I just pretend he's like a drug dealer. It's like, you want to buy some mushrooms? No, just totally no, insult the guy. <laughs> yeah, I totally walked past him. And no, it it was like amazing, like because it was like it was giving this. Hey, you guys were, you know, you really seemed to really enjoy the show. He was like, you know, shaking my hand. He's like, when I. I you know, brought me on their bus. We had hung out, and it was cool. Like they were really fucking nice guys to us, and we kind of built a little bit of a relationship in the sense of that a bit. But um, it was cool, man. It was they were super cool, and um, you know, to see like you know Green Day and No Effects, like or Billy Joel and Pat Mike. I remember them rolling. We were they'd be rolling dice and doing these card games. All and, you know, we played maybe you know a week here at one part of the tour, another week in a different part. Right. And we were always touring across Canada or going somewhere else and crossing paths with, you know. And our management was obviously doing their best to keep us on the road and playing shows and you know forcing people to like us more and more. But uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think anyone had punishing their eardrums, uh, punishing their eardrums, and. Uh, so yeah, it was definitely um, rad. It was fucking cool. I remember them playing me some of their new songs that hadn't been released yet. They were they played me a couple songs in the bus. Uh, and it was fucking cool. I was like, this is kind of cool. I got a little inside thing, and and Trey Cool was kind of like the little sort of like the <laughs> he was like the odd guy a little bit. He was funny and kind of peculiar, you know. Like he was sort of a. It was kind of it was it was he was fucking hilarious. He would say things like, you know that drum thing that you do at the beginning? I go, I don't play drums. It's like, well, your drummer, it's like the drummer plays that doodly-cat, in that song. And I'm like, oh, Bow Bell? He's like, yeah, I'm going to fucking, I'm going to rip that off. I'm going to play that. <laughs> and and I remember, I think we were in Pittsburgh or whatever that at that point. And uh, he fucking, he, um, he played, he, uh, he played that, a song because he knew I guess was watching them play and he whatever song was he started I don't even know if it made any sense but he played that <laughs> drum oh, that's amazing. yeah just as a joke I guess to bug you or thinking it's kind of funny or whatever yeah well that's a great song just as soon as you did that part immediately in my head is it's just that riff that from Beauville yeah that's a great song yeah the Bullet yeah yeah well but that definitely um yeah it's just it, whatever it's just like it's just a drum fill but you know gabe played that when he heard it you know when, when he did the song he kind of whatever and uh so going into that from foot and mouth is the art story uh, uh, to a world according to gob and then you know we toured like extensively all over the place and i know that it started playing in la like they started playing uh, uh world or uh, i hear you calling um in la but i think it was later like it was because it kind of you know because we didn't have a we were on network in canada but they had a label in the states so we're kind of on there but we didn't really have exposure as much in the states other than just like through the warp tour and just whatever kind of work we did ourselves and right. touring. 
I mean, we would go for three months on tour. I remember in 1997, and like we for three months, we would just tour the states. Um, uh, and I might have already touched on this last week or the last time we had a tour, but but yeah, we would just relentlessly go on these tours and say, okay, we have this sort of booked, and we had to kept keep on booking stuff as we were going, you know, like uh, just did whatever just to play shows because we were like, hey, we took this, you know, no one we're doing this for the next three months, and as much as some shows were like uh, cool and fun and but uh, you know some are just like you know you get 20 paid for 20 to 30 people this is a yeah. you know you know that was just like you know the we just worked hard and you know the, it was that ethic of us going out and you know just kept doing it yeah well that's that's what you got to do especially then right there was no no social media online stuff the only way to get your name out was yeah. to literally get in front of people yeah and people had to either get a gig poster or a you know, read it in the newspaper here. Maybe if you're lucky, if it was depends on how big the the big the place was or the, the venue, they would, you know, would be on the radio. But most of the times, it was just posters and you know, word of mouth. Right. But anyway, so us coming back to um, working on foot and mouth disease, where I was talking. I don't know if you wanted to get into that. Yeah, or, yeah, go for it. Yeah. So yeah, we were working on me and Tom were living in the house together uh, working just on that record and it was like a weird it was a weird time like uh, we just had done I remember um, okay just before uh, 9-11 like 2000-2001 we just had done in August a video that we just finished getting it was No Regrets and uh, we just and maybe it was out for a couple weeks two or three weeks tops and then the 9-11 thing happened and then they, they, uh, you know, pulled pretty much anything that was on the radio, anything, you know, like obviously having a song called No Regrets on the time of 9-11. They just did, they, you know, the whole radio world, everything yeah. kind of went into the somber thing. They had different, they changed the, you know, certain things couldn't be played because people were sensitive and, you know, you you know, emotionally distressed about the whole situation yeah, in the state. Sure. So they changed it. So No Regrets kind of got pulled out, like, the video, even though it's, like, it's kind of, like, it has nothing to do. It's more about, about you know, just, just taking a chance in life and just, you don't know, you don't know until you fucking, you know, just give it a shot and, and you don't know who you can fall in love with or take chances on doing anything that you love or whatever. And it has nothing to do with that, but that song got pulled out. But at the same time, like we had that release, but I remember when we were working on, um, we were living in this house one and, uh, that happened. I remember in the morning seeing the, the, like, you know, cause it already happened there earlier. Uh, you know, it would have been six o'clock in the morning, I guess our time. Cause it was there three hours or three hours ahead. So, right. or maybe their time. Whatever the fuck, yeah, it would have been if it's nine. I think it happened nine and ten a.m. their time, so it was like six, six to seven a.m. our time. Um, I say we weren't up, and uh, I just remember, you know, because we would like write music, work late into the night, maybe watch a movie or whatever. But we were always working on music, and I remember that day when that happened. It was crazy because we were working on this, and that happened, and uh, and it was Tom and I lived in this house, and it was just like. Uh, fucking it was such a weird moment in time and we were working on the foot and mouth disease 
record. It, not that it had anything to influence. Okay, I was um, just going to ask it to the, the influence. Yeah, I, and that's why or... I just kind of. Sorry. Yeah, I, I, I was. I was just going to ask if that if that influenced anything on that record or not. It's weird because we were in New York, like I'd say, probably like a month before that happened. Like we were out in New York, like at least a month or two months, maybe before that happened, and then, um, uh, then we were there like three weeks after it happened. Wow! Because Arista was interested, and uh, you know wanted to see us play because we were thinking of signing us, and this is right before. We were working on foot and mouth. We had some songs and demos done. So I remember going there and we went down to the World Trade Center. And you can just smell the fucking crazy um, harshness or this in the air down there. It was like a weird smell and a weird, uh, like chemical. I don't know. It was just, it just, yeah, I can't it imagine. Like a, yeah, you know, it's almost like, uh, I don't know. It was just like it had a, and it was crazy to see it because it's like you, this was a huge impact on the whole world. And then you're actually there to see, like, well, I didn't see it like happen, but you and me, I saw the the remains of what area. Right. You can see all the, all the pieces of paper and the love letters and the, the flowers, all the things. It was just kind of like, holy fuck. It was so more, um, it's almost surreal to see that in person. It was just fucking, it was pretty heavy. Hmm. Such a crazy thing, obviously. But so, in one um, sense, how do you experience something like that and not have it influence? You know, because the song. Like, or... Well, well, the thing is that because we already had a lot of the stuff written, the music. And, okay, that's fair. And, yeah. and 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 stuff. So at that time, we were just kind of like recording it, and um, so lyrically, um, like lyrically, um, uh, most of the stuff was kind of written, and we we're just kind of getting it all together right so and it's it's sort of hard to write uh um uh, i'd say uh i mean when you write about something like because we're not really a political band right right yeah that's true so yeah it it can influence in different ways i mean it doesn't necessarily have to influence you know lyrics or music but even just how you see the world it did affect i think tom in the sense he lived he started he moved there with his um, which is his wife now he's married, but when they went to lived in New York, um, he was living there. And, and I, you know, when Muertos Vivos, because that album became, you know, after that one, I mean, just kind of flash forward on that, but that was a lot darker. And that, and that was to do with, you know, you know, war troops and people dying and just sort of like the world sort of seemed like the, you know, financial crisis, every all that kind of shit, things are going down. And like, you know, that I think it was, that was happening in between, um, whatever, 2007 to 2009 or whatever. It was just a lot of shit was going down. Yeah. Just kind of like, so, and it was like that vibe was kind of there, but it was kind of like, it just, it, I mean, we, that album didn't come out to 2007, but it was, that was sort of a dark period of sort of things, whatever. And it was just, it, I mean, it was a different, it was a, a view, like, you know, when Tom was writing those lyrics for some of the hit songs. Um, and same with me, like I had a song called Face the Ashes and, and it was me talking about, you know, someone like I was writing about Tom's, you know, going to see his grandparents and burying someone mm. and just like the feelings of like, you know, and it was sort of vague, the song, but I mean, 
I just didn't want it to be so descriptive. Like it was so obvious. Right. Like it, we were, th- that song dealt with a lot of like, you know, just depressing issues and, and death and, you know, and that's when Tom, like, I think we should call it, uh, you know, Martel Vivos. Uh, and, and, in the true name of it, I guess in the, no one is, um, uh, Latin in the band, but we knew that, the Spanish uh, Los Muertos Vivos was like the, the actual the Day of the Dead, right? But I think that because we just like the just those two Tom's, I think it should be Muertos Vivos, and it was kind of more. And then we had that Guadalupe, Jose Guadalupe, whatever his name is, who you mean he wrote drew all that artwork of Day of the Dead stuff from like 100 years ago or whatever it was, yeah. So it wasn't like owned by it, wasn't owned, it was free too, oh, okay it was free to uh you know for that so it was kind of cool that it was always interesting that whole thing where they celebrated life even when it was you know someone's life more than the dead and it was like celebrating the dead in in a happier way than right you know you know so it was kind of like a cool thing and the concept of that and i I really really liked that record a lot like anyway i i jumped to muertos after yeah well and i do want to get more into that maybe on a a different different episode we can we can touch on those two albums um yeah for a bit on uh foot and mouth like it seems like it you almost went back a bit to you know some of your older influences and sounds it's you know to me when i listen to it it's you know more punk sounding you know just bigger chunkier guitars than than world according to what's uh, what influenced that or was it just kind of what you were I mean, feeling I think at that it's time? like a thing it's like a like a it's like an energy thing of what we you know what we were and the into writing and the songs the way they came out um it was definitely um like it just had this a different vibe like it was just i mean you know we had uh, it's so weird because I, you know, that like I said, that was the album we wrote out of that house um, that me and Tommy lived in, and and you know that inspired us to write the you know lyrics of the time that we're at, and and you know we'd either be there for you know two or three weeks, and then we'd be pulled away to go on tour for a week, or then come back to the and we'll keep working on the new record, and 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 that was a whole a different thing. Like I mean, our it was things were changing. Like you know, obviously. Um, you know, we were getting more popular. And then, you, you know, at that whole time, too, you kind of people, you know, like it wasn't no mounting any pressure on us. And we were just trying to write songs that we liked. And that's what we, we kept doing. We've always done that. So um, it's just the time period of capturing. I don't know how to. It's just like you, when you write these songs, that's just the what came out. So when right. we start writing and, um, and like I said, if both me and Tom are writing, we have a whole bunch of songs and we go kind of the band goes oh i like this one and that one i'll play that one okay play this one and then it sort of becomes the album because it's like songs we're hearing the demos that we do ourselves we go that one's cool that one i like this one i like that and then you pick all these are my 10 favorite you know if we did like 15 or 20 songs or whatever yeah we you know we write a bunch of it's just like we kind of it's just a natural thing of like sort of where you kind of wean out the ones that were good, there's the other ones are oh they're good, but they're not. You know, this one has something to it more, or something they like. We kind of do it like you know, in a sense of a democratic kind of style of what ones are stronger or whatever. If you like, they're they mean something. They're cool to play live, or they have cool riffs, and the lyrics are rad, and or whatever. Like all those combination of stuff. So, 
Yeah. Well, I mean, it's yeah, it's it's a great record. There's there's some uh, big songs in there too. You know, give up the grudge and old Ellen and um, did that kind of did things keep um, kind of moving forward with that? Yeah, I mean, that's where we're actually told to go. We go. We we signed with Arista. That was like a major label. Uh, they signed us, and they you know they had like Outkast, uh, Pink, Arista Franklin, Avril Lavigne. Like they had the, this huge roster of like huge artists. You know, and that was at a time I guess Avril was a huge album. They sold like 15 million of that one yeah, record. Yeah, that's crazy. And so was that you when know, you they, toured they with her? They didn't really have like a real punk yeah. band, I guess, on the label. I guess or whatever you wanted to call us, like or that's a style of what we were doing. Like you know, whatever it was to them, it was kind of like I, I kind of think that that was sort of like you know the way major labels they kind of chew bands up and spit them out it's like oh what's cool yeah. you know what's cool now it seems like all these bands are cool like all these punk bands are coming up out of fucking uh, springing out of the woodwork here let's fucking start getting you know let's start saturating fucking everything with these punk bands and uh i mean yeah i know that dreamworks was interested in signing us and and uh and so was Arista. so we it was kind of like where it's like it's it's like a weird game to play because it's like you have your management and then you have you get lawyers, you got a contract, you got to fucking read this bullshit. And it's the part that sucks about being in a band, that part, because it's like the business part, you know. And that's where you have managers and stuff and people, hopefully, in your best interest to take care of, you know, fuck you over right. or read the fine print and all that. But, um, yeah, and Arista was actually believed that the AR guy was like seemed really cool and. And they're the ones who offered, and we're like, okay, you know, like sounds cool. Like, I mean, and and they wanted to spend money and like, you know, on, on us and you know, and videos and stuff to to make us. And then you know, we just we got a tour set up in Japan. We you know, we were went there twice. It was fucking amazing. Yeah. Wow. Is that? Yeah, the... we went to Australia and stuff. It was it's fucking cool. Like it was very, you know, when we showed up in those parts of the world, it was just like because Arista or those the the record label, the only the thing that was kind of cool about it was um, the cool thing about it was that um, they actually had all these rap representatives that showed up there that would like kiss our ass. Yeah. <laughs> so it'd be like they would take us out to dinner, get us like drinks or have a you know, fine bottle of this, get this or whatever. And so I guess that, but then you realize, wait a minute, this you're. We're, we're paying for this in the end it just goes against your ledger <laughs> right so, yeah and that people don't realize these things i mean back then it was different because now i mean i don't even know if they're doing the new deal 360 deal where the labels take money you know every part of your orifice of your body like you go on tour tour you make money on selling merch or whatever right. it depends on the deal that you sign obviously the indie deals and you can do stuff independent which is so rad about the uh, internet and online and, and and streaming platforms it's like you can do so much more now than right. you could sort of uh found um in a sense like it was hard to it's a lot easier as an indie art, artist i think um no i mean there's still lots of saturation of artists now it's kind of like but i mean it's easy for someone to go oh well you're in this band it's like oh then you can just click on a link and listen to them you don't have to you know, you can watch a video on YouTube or whatever. You hear them put it up for free, or 
Yeah. And yeah. it costs money, you know, to make these fucking records and these albums cost. And a lot of those bigger bands that do well, it's, it's like they get money back and obviously to pay for all that kind of shit. But and it's like we, you know, we had to think about the future too of that stuff when that started sort of kind of coming in. It's just like, and lucky, I mean, over the years, I just learned a lot about engineering and, and, and stuff just using my ears and just, you know, asking a lot of questions and just being involved in recording it since. I started playing in a band. So, I mean, and yeah, there's so a lot of like working on your own stuff. Like, you know, like Martel's Vivos is like, you know, Tom and I just sat there recorded the whole thing. I mean, we went and did the drums in the studio and, uh, and we had obviously, um, Paul Silvera, which was, he's amazing. He makes the album. They also recorded the drums with us there too. And we did the drums in the baser, but that, I mean, we needed, but we actually did the whole record and we, it was demo drummed, but we recorded everything else really good. So we, so when Gabe actually played the drums to that record, he played it to all the vocals, all the guitars, all the leads. Everything was already there. So it was like him listening to the band playing. He played along, even though you know he knew what the songs were before. It's just like it just it just was a it was a different thing, but it worked out really cool. Like he was he played along listening. You know he had the demos, but. And he learned, obviously, and he played the songs, but when we went into the studio, usually you start off, okay, let's track the drums first. Okay, and then someone plays a scratch track, and then so the drummer knows where he is right. in the song, or maybe a, a, a rough vocal scratch, and so the drummer can play along. And you build it up from the drums, usually bass or the guitars, the you know, like, and then you add the vocals in, and, and you make your record in your... That, so this one, uh, that one, we, we actually did it, we did the demos, but when we did the guitars and the vocals, we actually we redid them and made the vocals and the guitars like recorded them as, as high as quality we could uh, and everything. And we did that, and you know we rented preamps and all this stuff to make sure that the guitars. It's easier to get a good couple preamps to record like two mics for the guitar, one you know one for the bass or two for the bass on the DI or and the one for the vocal because they use less. Uh, it don't use as much gear in the sense for recording where you or drum set you need fucking 12 to 20 tracks of and all these mics you need channels yeah. so it's a lot more and you have a nice room so that's why we're like we, we did it we tried it, it fucking worked awesome it was it was so good that it worked it, it gave you know because usually drummers don't get to drum along to a finished record like right it, yeah that's pretty special know, so he's good to hear so we could be like oh you know what and then you can tell that, you know, this fill, that fill works really good there. Maybe you should try a different fill because like, he's, you know, it's because it's all done. So it's kind of like, it's kind of cool. You can change a, a few things up. And it was fucking, it was very interesting. We did that for both records. Um, for, uh, uh, for, for um, Muertos Vivos and Department 13, we did them that same way. Mm. Wow, that's uh, that's awesome hearing all those details, and I, I would love to to get more into those two albums. And maybe we'll save that for for another episode. We'll um, yeah, we'll, we'll wrap up here pretty soon. But I, I wanted to um, to get your take on if if you had to pick your top three records, what would it be? And just touch on on each one, and maybe a memory from it, or how it's influenced you as um, a songwriter and a, a fan of music. 
Wow. Top three. Just throwing that at me. I well, hey, I, I, I sent mean, that to you like two weeks ago. You had lots of time to think about that. Uh, did you actually send me that <laughs> part of the request? Yeah, I, I think questions? I did have it on there. Oh, you know what? Because I read some of it, well, uh, what you sent me last week. So after we kind of did that first, I thought those were the questions you wanted from that first interview. It's all good. Yeah, I, I'm just, just kind of just joking. I mean, yeah, it, it could be to like kind of just on the spot. Think of. It could be any three. It could be top three punk records or current records or just whatever comes to mind. Oh, fuck. Oh, my God. Uh, (laughs) Talk about put me on the spot. Um, Or just, yeah, three three that come to mind. Three. Okay, so um, I'm going to say... Uh, okay, a, a, a big record. I'm thinking. I'm not looking anything up. Um, just so you know, <laughs> I'm just thinking because I was like, I was picking between the two records, um, and I wanted to see all the rest of the songs were on the records, but because I wasn't sure if it was because um, one of them would for sure. And this is in no specific order, but one of them for sure that come to my mind is like uh, the Regatta de Blanc or the Outlandish de Moore. Um, and I, I know Outlandish de Moore was the first police record. And the second one was the Regatta Blonde, which had message on a bottle. And I remember, I just remember when I hearing that man when I was younger, and I just because they kind of had like a, a reggae ska punk hmm. sort of thing going on, and some other. And I remember hearing a B side to a seven inch of Roxanne, where it had a song called Landlord, um, and they had a tr- guitar like it's like talking about the landlord getting kicked out and so it is like a fucking it's basically a punk rock song but it's just kind of like and it was when the police were like way more kind of energetic even like in their you know earlier so ah, fuck i probably want to say outlandish the more is probably a, a big record that um that uh influenced me like like to uh, music um another one that was amazing was the first van halen record hmm. Um, first Van Halen one, fucking amazing uh, record. Um, uh, fucking Master of Puppets was a fucking one in the metal genre going into, right. you know, getting, getting into Iron Maiden and Slayer and and all that. Like that was like a the gateway um, for me. Um, fuck three though. Like I I know I just gave you three, and I didn't give you. Any, punk bands really oh, but hey, it, it doesn't have to be i know I, I just didn't want it to be so contrived like i was i get those just popped into my head yeah so, no that's I mean, that's I mean, great i mean i obviously could say things like the first minor threat record were like fucking amazing or the first ramones record like uh you know which are oh, fuck it is amazing it's like um but i mean like it those still those records it, you know made me learn guitar and learn guitar but I still liked playing, you know, it didn't have to be always crazy fast metal riff, this and that. It was like something that was simple that was good. Yeah. It was just good, you know, it didn't matter, you know, whatever. So even like in, like in the case of the Ramones, it's just like, you know, if there was no Ramones, there wouldn't be a Green Day. Right. You know, even though Green Day is kind of like a mixture of, like the Who and Motley Crue, I guess back in the day. But even like, like there's so many, like, yeah, and the Who and the Motley Crue old records too. Like those were like cool records. Like growing up with all the different types of music. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, no, no, even no. like I mean, I, Dinosaur Junior and Sebado too. Like I was 
you know, indie kind of rock stuff. Like I was into those, you know, like uh, um, Bubble and Scrape, like the Sebado record and uh, uh, Dinosaur Junior Bug. I know Tom kind of introduced me to those records back in the 90s. And I was like, these are, and, and, I, and you know, I, I saw him a couple of years ago, Jay Masses, uh, Dinosaur Junior playing in the Commodores, a fucking rad show. Um, yeah, I mean, like I, I like I said, I like so many different kinds of music. I'm going to go see The Refuse tonight. And, you know, and they're fucking awesome. So I like, you know, I'll go to, I've been to, you know, I'll go to In Flames show. I mean, their older show, they haven't been to the new, I don't, I'm not as much into the newer stuff as much, but but I'll go to shows that, oh yeah, I, I had that record or, um, you know, my friend played there, like, or I'll get invited out. And, and I, I go, I'm always going to shows all the time. I like going to see live shows or bands that can fucking make me feel some kind of emotion or something when I watch them. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Like the Descendants, like somehow I made it backstage watching them, you know, fucking play. Yeah. Uh, uh, Bikage or whatever. I was just like, and seeing Miles thing, I was just fucking, I have, I get one of the videos around my Instagram thing. I'm like fucking, yeah, like fucking screaming my ass off. <laughs> I had I'm so stoked to see the Descendants play. And like, even though we, I've seen them play it, like I've seen all in them play it. But it was just cool to see them in Vancouver. Just like was a couple years back or whatever. But yeah, I had tickets to see them um, in Winnipeg at Thanksgiving, and there was this massive storm, and the highways were closed, and I just couldn't go. Such a waste. Wow. That might have been my only chance, but hey, that's that's how it goes. But dude, I yeah, I've loved just getting to hear your insight and stories and I I hope uh, we can do this again. So thanks for sharing your time and your uh fiber cereal burrito there with me and and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's been awesome. I really, yeah, I have really appreciated just It was more you know, nutty than fibery, but I think there's the yeah, there's still fiber in there for sure. Wait a minute. I got to go. No, it's okay. Well, you, you can uh, shoot me a message we'll tomorrow with, uh, with how it went. <laughs> Sorry? What so you that? can send me a message tomorrow with how, how everything uh, turned out. I'm just going to – I think I just kind of threw something together really quick. And I was just like – and then when you called, I'm like, I got to get this going here. I'm like trying to mix it up and then eat it as well. I'm doing the interview and trying not to eat uh, no, too loud and, and while I'm talking and well, that's that's all good. That's that's life, and we just uh, keep rolling. Keep, so, so. Keeping it real. Yeah, always. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, yeah. Thanks again so much, and uh, no problem, Aaron. Yeah, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll talk again soon. See you back, man. All right, see you, dude. George Michael had never been more embarrassed.